So if you don't have a handout, go ahead and grab one over on the sides there. So let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us this morning. Our God and Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your, your mercy and your kindness to your people, God. You're good to us, Father. You've blessed us mightily, and we thank you, God, as we approach this study of your word. We thank you that you did not leave us in the dark to speculate about who you are and what you have done to save your people. But you have revealed yourself to us most perfectly in your son, Jesus Christ. You have caused holy men, O Lord, to write these things down so that we would have a record and an account of all that you have done in this world for us, O God. Help us, Lord, by the aid of your Holy Spirit to understand these things, to believe them, to obey you, and to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. It's in the holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in the third week of this new quarter. Right now we're going through uh, You Can Trust the Bible, the name of this, this series, You Can Trust the Bible. And so the first two weeks we went through, or sorry, week one was God, or the Word of God is our foundation. The Word of God is our foundation, and we talked about how God's Word is foundational for our lives and how God's Word is the standard that we ought to use to judge everything, not just um, religion or what we do in the church, but God's Word ought to regulate and judge what we do outside of the church, and it is also the standard by which we should determine what is good, right, and proper in, in every occasion. We also talked about how the word of God was like a lens, were like lenses or a pair of glasses through which we ought to uh, view the world. And, um, and we call that term, we use the term worldview, and that we ought to have a biblically-based worldview. And then that was, that was the first week. And then in the second week, we talked about how to study the Bible. We talked about how to study the Bible, and we went briefly and quickly through uh, the method of the um, inductive Bible study. We talked about how when you study the Bible, the, um, the way you interpret it, the fancy word for that is, was hermeneutics, was the big fancy word for that, and that everybody has a hermeneutic, everybody has a way in which that they interpret the Bible. The only difference is, is that some of us can recognize it and identify it and others of us can't. So everybody has a particular method that they use to interpret the Bible. Okay. And then we talked about it's better to know what that method is and to identify it so that you can account for any deficiencies. Right. So the particular method that we went through was called the inductive Bible study method, where we observe the text, and then we interpret the text, and then we apply the text. So that's what we went through last week. We went and we actually did some verses ourselves. We kind of walked through some of those. So did anybody get a chance to do any of that at home during the week? Those of you who were here last week? 
So let me ask you this. Did anybody read their Bible between now and last? Okay, good. Let's start there. Okay. You read your Bible. Good. When you read, after you read your Bible, did you make any kind of attempt to interpret it? Yes. Right? You should have. Hopefully you did. And then the next step would have been to apply it. So when you did that, did you, did you use this method or did you, did you use the method that you normally do, Christian, since you, read, you were the only one that raised your hand? Okay. And then any parts that I don't understand, I use passages that are easier to understand right. in order to interpret the harder passages. And then I think about what the, the context of what is being written and who is writing. Right. So that was some of the stuff we talked about last week. Whenever you try to interpret the Bible, you always want to start with who wrote, what type of literature it is that the particular book you're in, whether it's a psalm or a historical narrative or a letter or prophecy you want to first you want to determine that that's going to control how you interpret the text right and then we talked about you want to do the context right so there's the context you need to consider who wrote the bible who they were writing it to you know what what if anything you can know some letters will tell you why they were writing the bible Right? If, they tell, if, the, if the writer tells you why the, uh, that verse was, or that uh, book was being written, that's going to definitely help you understand how you need to be interpreting it. And then the other thing Christian talked about is very helpful. When you get to a very difficult passage of Scripture, you want to try to clearer passages of Scripture that, that are about that same subject can help you to interpret less clear passages of scripture. So when you get across, when you come across a passage of scripture that you don't understand very well, you shouldn't get discouraged, right? That shouldn't necessarily discourage you because even Peter said that Paul had letters that were hard for him to understand. So if an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's responsible for writing passages of scripture, have a hard, has a hard time understanding other writings that an apostle has, that shouldn't discourage you, right? That shouldn't discourage you. So you shouldn't necessarily be discouraged. And then the um, other thing, so the context, uh, so there's the, lit, the, the context of the scripture. The other kind of context you need to consider is the uh, literary context, just the words themselves. So you shouldn't isolate Bible verses. You shouldn't just go grab uh, John 3.16 without considering John 1 through, John 3, 1 through 20. You know, you should consider it within a particular passage. Um, sometimes Bible, the verse numbers, they help us find and locate passages, but they also hinder us. In some ways, they can't hinder us because they, those, those numbers are not there to, for you to think that you're dealing with independent thoughts. Does that make sense to you? Okay, you should read literature based on its punctuation. Does that make sense? So you should read entire um, thoughts. If you're reading um, narrative, you should be reading entire scenes. You shouldn't just go grab one single verse by itself ever. 
Okay, you, that's how you end up being Joseph Smith Jr. is by grabbing independent, independent Bible verses by themselves, right? You should never do that. You should be taking long passages of Scripture in context of, and then that's the first kind of con, um, context. Second kind of context is biblical or historical context. You need to know to some degree where in the story of the Bible are we? Okay, so you need to, is it before the flood? Is it after the flood? Is it before Christ? Is it after Christ? All of those things are going to help you to interpret particular passages of Scripture. Does that make sense to you? So all of these things matter. All of these things help you to understand. And then the last thing you need to consider is the church when you do interpretation. Okay, so here's what I can guarantee you. We've been in Christianity now. The Lord has ascended. It's been over 2,000 years since the Lord ascended. There have been many, many, many people who haven't been endowed with the Holy Spirit, who have read the scriptures and interpreted them. And if you interpret a Bible verse in a way that no one else (laughs) in the history of Christianity has ever interpreted it, here's what I can guarantee you you're probably wrong, okay? So Jude, verse 3 says that the faith was delivered once and for all, okay? The faith, not your faith, the faith. The Christian faith has been delivered to the saints once and for all. So the same gospel that saved us here today saved people 2,000 years ago. So we should be interpreting primary passages of Scripture the way that our brothers and sisters across the span of church history has. Okay? So I'm not saying this to insult anybody, but none of us, we're not that smart. Okay, we're not, we're not, we should not be endeavoring to be novel people. Right? We should be interpreting the Bible in light of what the church, how the church has interpreted it. That's Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11 is probably something you need to write down when you think about interpreting Scripture. He says, for the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, for they heard Paul's message with eagerness, and they studied the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So two things happen there. One... They heard the message, they listened eagerly and intently, and then they went back and compared what was being said against Scripture. But if you notice, they didn't do it alone. They did it in the community of the saints. Yes, sir. Yes, I'm going to get to that. Yeah, so they, Paul was preaching, and the gospel, and he goes back, and these men, they go back, and they compare what Paul says about this gospel to what God has revealed in his Bible in the Old Testament, right? And they did not do it alone. As the church together, they went back, and they determined whether or not what Paul, if Paul, if what Paul was saying was accurate, and 
according to the word of God, right? And you have Acts 15, the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, where you, they hashed it out. They got in a room together and determined, is this how we're going to interpret these texts? You should not be interpreting the Bible all by yourself, all alone, without any help from the church. You should not be doing that. Okay, you were saved individually from one group of people to another group of people. Amen? So you have to consider when you do an interpretation, how have I interpreted this, this text? What has the church historically said about this? Why is my answer so vastly different than anybody else's that has ever existed? You need to consider that question, right? Why am I the only one in the history of ever that has interpreted this text this way? Right? So those are some things you need, we can consider when we talk about interpreting God's word. So now we're on a lesson three. Lesson three, God's word guides us. So the key passages we'll be going through is uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21, Titus 1, verse 2, and Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. Yeah, that's what I was just kind of going over. It was observation, observation, interpretation, and application. Observation, interpretation, and application. So we should be observing what the text says first, then interpreting it, then moving on to application. All right? All right. So, um, so if you have your Bibles, then turn your Bibles to... Well, let me say this real quick. So what we plan on going through today is, is that God's word is true because God cannot lie. So when, when the Bible says that God cannot lie, he's talking about his, his capacity. It's not possible for the Lord to fib. Do you understand what that means? Can you lie? Yes. yes. The Lord cannot lie. It's not possible for him to tell a lie. Therefore, every word he speaks is truth. Okay? Then secondly, the roles of, then we'll learn about what God's role and the role of men in writing the Bible was. And then the four ways of God, the four ways God's word guides us according to scripture. Okay? So we're going to start in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter I'm sorry, uh, did I, I put this on your paper wrong? It's 2 Peter, 2 Peter, 2 Peter, 2 Peter, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 19. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse And the word of God says, <clears throat> and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation 
For no prophecy is no for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we in this text here that we just read, um, we need to take, we're going to take some time to do what we talked about. We're going to observe, and then we're going to look back at the epistle. When we look back at this epistle, I'm sorry. When we look back at this epistle, we know that this epistle was written by Peter, right? Peter wrote this epistle. Do you know who he wrote it to? Verse 1. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So remember, when you do observation, right, you should just be looking at the Bible. Does that make sense to you? So if you say, who, do, who was first Peter written to? You just go read the Bible and who did he write the letter to? That's the answer. You don't have to think, you don't have to be these big, uh, you don't have to be these Bible scholars and all this other stuff. All you have to do is open your Bible, look at verse one, it'll answer your question, right? So observation is simply that, you just observe, okay? And then, so we know that the apostle Peter, he's writing to other Christians in this particular area, in this dispersion. And then this epistle in 1 Peter is filled with all kind of encouragement uh, in the first uh, 19 verses here. And um, <clears throat> so these people here are, were being persecuted. They were, they were living under, under persecution and they were being threatened by false teaching. So Peter is explaining how he has seen uh, the Christ, the risen Christ, and has a desire for the purity of his message. You see that in 15 verses, starting at verse 15, he said, but he who called you is holy. You also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time in exile. So he's talking to these people about, though, although that they are being um, persecuted, that they need to live as holy Christians, live as holy because their God is holy, and that uh, despite this persecution that they're having, they ought to live this way. And then he goes on to say the reason why. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but with uh, such as uh, silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. Right? So this is the first chapter, and you see how he is, um, wait, did I read the wrong passage? I'm in First Peter. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. So <laughs> verse 16, let me start. They get everything I just said for the last five minutes if you're listening. I apologize. Second Peter I should have been in. So Second Peter uh, um, says, for we did not, this is verse 16. Verse 16. So uh, we're supposed to be going through Second Peter 1, 19 through 21. I'm sorry, everybody, just bear with me. 
Uh, we're supposed to be going through 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. So in order for us to understand what's going on here, I'm going to go back up to verse 16. Okay? So it says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Does anybody know what he's talking about right there? The transfiguration. He's talking. Yes. The transfiguration. He's talking about. So Peter is saying here that the gospel, that the gospel message that he's preaching is not a myth. This is not something that they made up. It's not something that they heard from folk tales or anything like this, that they were eyewitnesses to what happened. And he's saying that we were eyewitnesses. We saw in verse 16, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And that majesty that they're talking about is when at the transfiguration, when the Lord from heaven spoke and said, this is my beloved son. Okay, so this is what he's claiming here, right? That we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on a holy mountain. And then this is verse 19. This is the passage where we're starting at. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention. So in this passage, he's, he's explaining the, why the word of God, why the scriptures are more fully confirmed why the prophecies from the Old Testament, these, these prophecies about this coming Messiah, why they are fully confirmed? Because they were eyewitnesses. We saw these things happen. Does that make sense to you? Right? He's saying we actually saw these things. Right? I think it's First John where he says we, we actually touched him, John said. We touched him. We saw him. And so Peter's making a similar type of claim here, right? And so what Peter is doing, he's describing here for us where the Bible came from. Okay? Where the Bible came from. So I'm going to ask you this question. What does Peter call the readers to take heed to in this passage? The answer is in um, verse 19. Right. We're to take heed to the prophetic word. So, and the reason is, is because this prophetic word has been confirmed in the events of Christ's life and death. So this prophetic word is the the prophecies of the Old Testament about this coming Messiah, right? And that these things were confirmed in Christ. And that the apostles were eyewitnesses to that. This is what the claim he's making right here, right? Okay, so what word or idea do you see repeated in this passage, verse 19 through 21? Prophecy. 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 You see it? 
He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you have do well to pay attention. Right. Then in verse 20, knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. And in verse 21 again, I'm sorry, then in verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So we can say for certain that this passage is about what? Prophecy. That's right. Prophecy. Now we have to ask, what about prophecy is this passage saying? So we know it's talking about prophecy, but what is it saying about prophecy, right, in particular? So knowing that, um, so we know that this audience in the first century, we know this was a first century audience, uh, what would they interpret prophecy to be? So here, let me, let me tell you why I'm asking you this question. So when you say prophecy, some of us are thinking automatically TBN. Some of us, right? But these people who got this letter would not have been thinking that. Why? Because there was no such thing as TBN. <laughs> right? So when, yes, ma'am. Trinity Broadcast Network. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a channel that has a lot of so-called prophets on it. It's a channel that has not only preaching, like, at like, at one o'clock in the afternoon, but it's a channel that has Paws uh, and Tales, Veggie Tales, and all these Christian, uh, Japanese, the Japanese will call it, uh, anime. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Okay, yeah. Listen, it's a, it's a channel that has supposedly Christian stuff on it. Don't lose the forest for the trees here. Listen, you have to make sure that you are interpreting the word prophecy the way these people would have. That's the big thing. It's not about TBN. Don't lose the forest for the trees. So when you say prophecy, are you certain that you mean the same thing that they mean? Right? Yes, sir. Isn't prophecy just uh, somebody speaking to how God is like God using somebody to say what he needs to say? Right. Isn't that the direct meaning? They would have understood that word to mean not necessarily somebody telling you about your future, who you're, who you're going to marry, or what church you're going to next. They would have understood prophecy to mean what God has revealed. Okay? So what is that? Scripture. Scripture. Right? So we're in a first century church. Was the New Testament written yet? No. So when they say prophecy, what are they talking about? The Old Testament. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So... You have to be careful. Remember, we talked about this last week to not do eisegesis was the word we used. Right. You know what that means? Taking a definition of a word that you have in your head. And importing it into the Bible. And interpreting the Bible the way that you use words versus the way that the writer uses words. Do you understand that? So how many of you, before we had this conversation, 
would have understood the word prophecy to mean the Old Testament. You understand? Who doesn't understand? Everybody understands? If you understand, do this. That means yes. If you don't understand, no. Okay? All right. So the, they would have understood the word prophecy to mean the Old Testament scriptures, what God has refe- revealed through the prophets. That's what they would have understood. You may not understand the word prophecy to mean that, depending on your church background or what you've been taught from another church. Does that make sense to you? So you have a responsibility to interpret the Bible the way that the writer intended it to be interpreted. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So now remember what we're doing here is the whole point is, is teaching you how to read the Bible, right? So we, okay. So who are the holy men of God that Peter is referring to? The prophets, right? So the, the writers of Old Testament scripture, the prophets. So Verse 20 starts with the phrase, knowing this first, right? It is intended to be a reference to the message, to the message's order. So, so, so in verse 20, right, knowing this first of all, is he saying, okay, so he's not necessarily talking about timing here. Does that make sense to you? When he says in verse 20, knowing this first of all, he's not saying that this is, He's not saying that this is the first thing you ought to know. He's just talking about how important it is, right? So has anybody ever been, like, scolding you? And they said, first of all, blah, 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 blah. You, ever, you ever got that before? Your mom never did that to you before? God bless you if she never has. Okay, but she doesn't mean that that's the first thing you should have learned. She doesn't say, this is very important. You need to listen to this, right? This is what he's saying. Uh, knowing this, first of all, is very important that I think that um, if I'm, does anybody have another version? Some versions of the Bible should say above all. Anybody else not using ESV right now? What do you have? Know this, first of all. Know this, first of all. What, what is that? LSB. So the, I think if I remember correctly, the... Uh, NIV in the uh, New English translation says above all, right? So he's not talking about timing here. He's talking about place of importance, priority, right? So above all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So in verses 20 and 21, um, there are two qualities that he's talking about when it comes to prophecies, right? What is he saying about these two qualities in verse 20 and 21? They are negative qualities. Tell me what they are. Right, no prophecy comes from one's own interpretation. And what's the second one? And they are not an act of human will. So what can we say about the Old Testament? What are the two things that we can say about the Old Testament? It wasn't up to them what they wrote down. God using them as a pen. Right. They did not. They were not produced 
by the will of man, right? And they did not come from their own interpretation. You see that? Are we certain? All right. And then, were men involved in writing the scriptures? Okay. And so what does the passage tell us then about the Holy Spirit in relationship to the scriptures? The Holy Spirit moved those men to write scripture. So what do we know about the 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 scriptures thus far tell me let's review let's use bob let's use words from the text here okay what's that it's prophecy what else do we know it does not come from the will of man what else do we know the holy spirit carried these men along right The men who wrote it, men were involved in writing it. The Holy Spirit carried them along. It was not done according to their own will, right? So that's just, so we just discovered all of that just from asking questions, right? Just from observing and looking at it. So now that we've asked these questions, we need to talk about what's actually being communicated here and how we interpret this. So we're trying to answer the question, where the ideas of the Bible came from, okay? Where did, what we find in scripture, according to that text we just read, we just read and just examined, where did the Bible come from? God, through, right? Through holy men of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. That make sense to you? That's what the Bible is claiming about itself. What does the Bible say about itself? It comes from God through holy men inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, if the Holy Spirit then is the Bible's author, would you expect it to contain error? Why not? How do you know that? God cannot lie, right? So, listen. The, the Bible makes certain claims about itself, right? The Bible is God's revelation to man about himself, and it makes certain claims about itself and about God. So whenever somebody is talking to you about the Bible, you have to use the Bible to talk about it. Does that make sense to you? Yes, sir. I was going to answer your question, but well, from the text it says that we know because it was corroborated by all the eyewitnesses. Yeah, so Peter is saying, he, what, <clears throat> what he's saying is, is that Peter is corroborating eyewitness testimony to the scripture. So let me give you an example about why this is important. So somebody comes up to you and say, hey, I know Corey, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right? And they say to you, Corey was born in Minnesota, right? And then you're going to say, which Corey are you talking about? (laughs) You're not talking about Corey Williams. 
because Corey Williams revealed to me that he was born in Arkansas. So we're not talking about the same Corey, right? So it's important. The reason why this is important is because you're going to be talking to your unbelieving friends and family or whatever about the Bible. They're going to try to um, undermine the reliability and the truthfulness of Scripture, right? How do you know the Bible is the Word of God is usually the question that they're going to ask. Usually when people ask that question, they're not asking the right one, right? How do you know the Bible is the Word of God? So what we typically tend to do when we answer that question, we start to prove that the Bible is true, right? That's not the same question. Do you understand the difference between those two questions? Is the Bible true and is the Bible the word of God? Do you understand the difference between those two questions? Somebody tell me the difference between those two questions. Okay, so yeah, the, to, to, to explain if the Bible is true would be, is it historically accurate? Did the prophecies that it claimed to, to uh, foretell, did those prophecies actually come true? Right? Yes, sir. Right. So, yes, that's absolutely. Did you hear that? Somebody can write down something that's true as long as it aligns with God's word, but that doesn't necessarily make it God's word itself. Yes, sir. One of those texts is supernatural. Yes, one of those texts is supernatural. So, if some, if the Bible, <clears throat> so you can prove that the Bible is true, and that person still not believe. that make sense to you? So when you, try to, when you try to answer the question, is how do you know the Bible is the word of God? Well, the simple answer is, is because it says it is. How do you know I'm Corey? How do you know that I'm Corey Williams? Because I revealed myself to be Corey Williams, right? Okay, so the Bible claims to be the word of God. Right now, how you know it's true is whether or not it lines up accurately with history. So those are two separate questions. So Paul is pretty clear about this in Romans chapter 9. It's pretty arrogant. I mean, it really is an arrogant thing for you to say to God, prove to me that you actually are who you say that you are. Do you understand? Anybody in here with children... Listen to me. Tell, I just need you to confirm if I'm right or not. Imagine if you go to one of your kids and you say, hey, clean your room. And they say, prove to me that you're my father, then I'll clean my room. <laughs> right? I don't know how well that conversation would go. Right? But he, he, he's arrogant in that, in that situation, right? So in a sense, when you... The Bible claims to be the word of God. The Bible is revealing itself to be the word of God. The Bible claims to be from God, right? That's the claim that it's making about itself. So when you are trying to prove that, you have to use the scriptures to do so. Does that make sense? You don't start going outside of scripture 
to try to prove that the Bible claims to be the word of God. Does that make sense to you? All right. Yes, sir. No, no, no. That's because you're answering two different questions. Because this is why you got to have this clear in your head. You have to have clear in your head, how do I prove the Bible is true versus how do I prove the Bible is the word of God? The Bible claims to be the word of God. That's what it claims to be. And then there's obviously the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. How do you know you personally know that the gospel is contained in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit transformed your heart and caused you to believe it. So in a real sense, you'll never be able to prove to an unbeliever that this is the very word of God until they believe. Does that make sense to you? So, so, you only approach the scriptures one of two ways. Belief or unbelief. That's it. There's, there's no other way. So sometimes we like to overcomplicate things because we just like to do that. Okay? But we don't need to. So when you talk to your unbelieving friends about whether or not the Bible is the word of God, you just say, read the text that says the Bible claims to be the word of God. And, and if they're unbelievers... How are they going to respond? They're going to not believe. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I just have a question about the point that you made from those verses of stressing the fact that the scriptures come from God and not from man. Because I know, like, when it comes to Jesus, we, we stress oftentimes he's 100% God, 100% man. Would it be accurate to use that kind of language in, references, in reference to the scriptures also or no? Wait, ask me the question again. So how would you say that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God? Mm-hmm. Would it be accurate to use that same kind of language with scriptures? I think you mean we could say it was 100% written by God. Okay, so... So, okay, so you're, okay, so you're getting into... You're getting into... You're, basically, what you're getting into is, is what is inspiration? How to define inspirate like what when we say the bible was inspired by god what does that mean so is that that's what i'm understanding you to get that's what you're trying to get down to the bottom to okay so god inspired men to write the scriptures but um you ought not to be thinking about it as if they were just dick mindlessly dictating words okay so they're education, their understanding of the times, their use of language was still in operation and God was superintending everything that they wrote. Does that make sense? That's why Paul writes in the style of Paul, Peter writes in the style of Peter, right? Because God does not negate their personhood at all and yet still inspires the writing. So it's going to sound like Paul wrote it. When Paul writes, it's going to sound like Peter. When Peter write, when Peter writes in jo- Johannian literature, the letters that John writes is going to sound. Oh, when I read it, it's going to sound like John wrote it. Does that make sense to you? All right. Um, 
So basically to summarize all of this, right, the scripture has two sources, men, and then ultimately God, and then God, the Holy Spirit, and that scripture is not simply a product of man. That's what we get from this passage, right? Um, I'm going to jump ahead a bit here. Uh, let's go to 2 Timothy Three sixteen. Yeah, let's go to that one. Second Timothy three sixteen. I'm gonna jump ahead a bit. Second Timothy three sixteen. Very familiar passage of scripture. All right. So, Second <clears throat> Timothy three sixteen says this: um, All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, um, this passage parallels to some degree to the one we just read. So, who wrote this passage? Paul, how do you know that? Where does it say that? Show, tell, tell everybody where it said. Right? And who's he writing it to? Right. That's right. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to Timothy, my beloved child. So that's who the letter is written to. So this is he's writing this letter to a particular person, not necessarily a church, but a particular person. Who's Timothy? Does anybody know anything at all about Timothy? Grandson of Lois. Yeah. Anything else you know about Timothy that can help you at all? He was Greek. Yeah. Anything else? He was a church leader. Yeah. Probably a pastor in Ephesus. Right. So what's that? And he was young, younger than Paul. Okay. so all of those things, that's just information that we know from the scriptures that help us interpret. Okay, what is the source? According to this passage that we just read, what is the source of scripture? Yeah, God's breath, God's outbreathing, or that's how you want to say it, right? So the King James and the New King James, it says inspiration of God, all right, to describe the transmission from God to man. And in other translations say breathed out. Uh, NIV says God breathed. And the NASB says inspired by God, right? So which... Whenever you see, <clears throat> whenever you see um, Bible, when you read the Bible, uh, Bible passages in different interpretations, right? And then they have variations. That should never scare you, right? That should never scare you. Because who, who speaks another language other than you? Okay, so there are going to be times when you try to translate something from one language to another language, right? And if you do a word-for-word -word translation, the idea that the author was trying to convey is not going to be, is not going to come across like what he intended. Does that make sense to you? So the interpreter has to make a decision. 
what language am I interpreting this to, and how is it going to best convey what the author is trying to say here? Does that make sense to you? So that's how you get that. And, all, and sometimes reading multiple translations of a, of a Bible passage in different scriptures actually gives you a better understanding of what the passage is trying to say, not less. Does that make sense to you? All right. So don't, that should never scare you. So then let me ask you this question. What does 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 say that scripture is profitable for? This is an observation question. Teaching, reproof, correction. And training in righteousness or instruction in righteousness, depending on which verse you have, version you have. Okay, so from verse 17, what is the goal or the intended purpose of Scripture? Yeah. So that the man of God might be complete, ready for every good work. Yeah, so that to train you, to equip you men for every good work. Okay, so it's implying something there when it says this, right? It's implying that on some level, every passage of Scripture is going to do one of these four things, right? And the end and the goal is to equip you for every good work which implies every passage of Scripture is going to do one of those four things, and that you, you and I, on some level, are insufficient for the work that God has given us to do. Do you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Okay? So on some level, some way, somehow, not exactly, it may not be the same for every person, and it may not be the same in every situation, but on some level, you and I are unequipped and insufficient for a particular work, and that passage of Scripture was inspired by God to, to equip you for it. Does that make sense to you? Are you sure you understand? So every passage of Scripture is going to do one of four things. Teach doctrine, reprove, correct, or instruct in righteousness. Okay? And the goal of that is to equip us all for good works, right? So what, what that implies is, is that on some way, somehow, that we're either incomp, incom, I don't want to say incompetent, or um, ill-equipped or insufficient to, on some level for that work. Does that make sense to you? We have some kind of fallenness, we have some kind of sin, we have something in our lives that the scripture that God has inspired scripture to give to us to make us complete, to make us equipped for that work. Does that make sense to you? So for example, yes, sir. I mean, it could for some people, it could be because um, some of us are better at other things. Then, like some, so for example, the Bible says that some people ought to be apt to teach. A pastor ought to be apt to teach. So some men may be capable and others not. So I don't want to use the word, I'm not saying that because everybody's not incompetent in that area. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Um, so the, 
Is there any promise that this scripture is alluding to? Is there any promise that this scripture is alluding to? Yes. That's right. The scriptures will complete you and equip you for good works, for every good work. That's the promise of this passage, that the entire Bible from Genesis to Maps, Revelation, Genesis to Revelations, will equip you for every good work. That's the promise of Scripture. Does that make sense to you? Do you believe it? Amen. Do you believe it? Amen. All right. So, what does this passage tell you about God? Okay, wait, hold on before you do that. Okay. okay. <laughs> what particularly in the passage does it say about God? That he breathed out scripture, that he breathed out scripture right? So, when we look at this passage, right, we know we get these four principles from, oh, real quick, I just want to say this, I got a couple minutes left. So, when we talk about inspiration, right, don't think of it like um, the way people often talk about, like, I was inspired to write a song or I was inspired to uh, paint something or, you know, do some artwork. Because typically when people talk about inspiration that way, what they're talking about is it's internal. You know what I mean? It was something that was like some kind of compunction inside of them that kind of, it, it, um, something was drawn out of them. That make sense to you? I saw something, I heard something, I read something, and it kind of just drew this out of me and, and I wrote this song or I did this painting. That's not the way the Bible's talking about inspiration. Inspiration in the scriptures the, the scriptures are breathed out by God, not man. Not, the man is not the source of the word of God. God is the source of the, the holy scriptures. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so now we know we have these truths that we can carry with us when we think of when we approach scripture. We know that it should be four things. Every passage of, every passage of scripture that we come across, four thing, one of four things or all four God could be doing. What are they? Reproving. Teaching us doctrine. Correcting us. Training in righteousness. One of those four things. Right? To what end? To be complete and equipped for good works. Yes, sir. So... Reproof and correction. Oh, I wrote that down because they are very similar, right? They are very, very, very similar. And so, reproof. Um, so, correction is simply correction. You're going in the wrong direction. Correction is pointing you in the right direction. Okay. Reproof or rebuke. I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Rollo, but some, some Bibles interpret it as rebuke, right? Or is it always reproof? Reproof. The difference between reproof and correction. So correction is training you in the right, turning you in the right way to go. Reproof is pointing out error. 
okay? Pointing out error. And the other one is like pointing you in the right direction. Well, you have to be in error if you're going in the right, if you're going in the wrong direction, right? Because it's the difference between telling you, hey, you're wrong versus you're wrong, go that way. That make that makes sense to you? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Okay, yeah, so she's talking about um, reproof could be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying like having the wrong idea about God, right? Correcting and, or, okay, yeah, so reproof could be having the wrong ideas about God. Correction is talking about behavior, right? I, I think it more, I'm more inclined to think that if one is, is pointing to, pointing you in the right direction versus just saying, hey, you're wrong there. So, but I, I, you know, I'll get the, a better answer for you next week if you're okay with that. All right. <laughs> All right. So you have a handout there. You have homework today. <laughs> I need you to answer this and bring it back next week. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Observation. Interpretation. Application. Uh, yes. Any, anybody else need one? They're just uh, there over there. Any other questions? All right, let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you, God, for inspiring holy men to uh, give us your scriptures, oh God. Thank you, God, that you would uh, be so kind to us and provide a way for us to be corrected and trained in righteousness, God. We are people who are stiff-necked often, hard-headed, quick to stray away from you, O oh Lord. And God, you've been so good and kind to us in this way to uh, reveal yourself to us, O oh God. You didn't have to do that. You voluntarily condescended to us in Christ. You made sure that your word, God, was written down and captured and preserved so that we would have a way of salvation. God, without your Holy Spirit, we would never believe these things. And we would never obey them. And God, when we fail, we would never, never repent without your help. So Lord, help us, God, to do these things for your glory. To never forget how gracious and kind you have been to us in revealing yourself to us and rebuking and reproving and training us, O oh God. And I pray, God, that we would hold these things close to our hearts. It's in the holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.